Welcome back to Season 2 of Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series. As you know, education and awareness of issues affecting the small business community is an important part of the bank's relationship and consulting-oriented approach with its clients. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to review and rate us on all of your popular podcast platforms. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. Welcome back to our latest episode of Inside the Vault, where we discuss topics of interest to small business and the community at large. Uh, as you know, uh, we've talked a lot about the economy in recent episodes. And one of the emerging parts of uh, the economy and commerce is the whole idea of cryptocurrency, uh, which for me personally is still somewhat mystical and uh, nebulous. Uh, so we have with us today Chris Wilmer from the University of Pittsburgh. Um, Chris is a chemical engineer by trade, but uh, was telling me he kind of went down the wormhole of cryptocurrency about a decade ago, a little over a decade ago, and are now a published author on the subject and uh, do some trade journals plus a lot of uh, lectures and workshops around the subject. So welcome, Chris. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Yeah. So. Um, can you kind of give our, our listeners and viewers kind of a, just a quick snapshot of what got you to the expertise level you're at with crypto? Sure, right. So we all, we all start somewhere with cryptocurrency. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a new technology for everyone, right? Nobody's been studying this for more than 10, 12 years because it didn't exist uh, longer than that. Um, so for me, I... Um, I read about Bitcoin in a, in a Wired magazine article called The Rise and Fall of Bitcoin uh, in 2011. And it, you know, back in 2011, this article described Bitcoin as this failed experiment. Um, and it, it had talked a little bit about what it was, but, you know, as you can imagine, I was very confused. I had no idea what the article, uh, what any of this really was. What does this Bitcoin mean? Who runs this Bitcoin project? Um, but it mentioned that you could buy chocolates online with Bitcoin, and uh, and so I thought, okay, the, the the pessimism of the article sort of washed over me. I just thought I'm going to try and teach myself how Bitcoin works by buying some chocolates online, and um, that's how I got started. And uh, it was really difficult to use back Bitcoin back then, um, so I had to learn about uh, public and private key cryptography to help keep my Bitcoins safe and prevent them from getting stolen. Um, and then I learned about this um, crazy thing you can do with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, which you can actually send Bitcoins from your phone or from your laptop to your brain and store them in your brain. It's called the brain wallet. And then you can send them from your brain back to your computer. And that, and that was, for me, a sort of an aha moment. I thought there's really something unique and special about this technology. It's something that we couldn't do before. Um, and that's when I really started... Um, uh, thinking that this could change the world for the better, potentially. And in talking to my friends and colleagues who remained very skeptical, I realized that there was a lot of misinformation and, and confusion about this. Um, and so I ended up co-authoring this book, Bitcoin for the Befuddled. Um, then later when I started my career at the University of Pittsburgh, um, together with some other 
colleagues and fellow um, cryptocurrency researchers from around the world, we co-founded the, the world's first peer-reviewed trade journal, as you say, or research journal on the subject called Ledger, um, which uh, accepts uh, research articles on the subjects from around the world, and we publish them at the University of Pittsburgh. Okay. So you, you mentioned uh, uh, some of the terminology. So yes. this is a big ask, but what I was hoping you could do is kind of put into layman's terms you know, the whole basis of crypto. I mean, some of the buzzwords I hear are um, blockchain technology, distributed ledger. Can you kind of demystify, you know, the whole kind of concept of crypto? Sure. A, how no, long, how long <laughs> do I have? <laughs> I said layman's term, so short, as short and sweet as you can make a topic like this, I guess. It's hard to, it's hard to give short explanations. Right. I, I'll Go start ahead. a bit with the terminology and then yeah. maybe talk a little bit about what it is. So, um, uh, first, uh, this all started because somebody, and to this day we still don't know who this is, published a, a paper, like a scholarly academic paper um, titled Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. And it, was, it wasn't a thing you could use, it was just a paper you could read. And it described this new technology. Um, and this was in 2008. And then in 2009, this was implemented as a computer program that was sort of run by enthusiasts. And, and so you had this thing that everyone referred to as Bitcoin. So the, the word cryptocurrency wasn't in use yet, nobody used the word cryptocurrency, it was just Bitcoin. But because this was an, sort of an academic project, the code was all kind of free and open source, so then people copied that code and pasted that code and they changed you know, a few bits of the program here and a few bits of the program there and they made their own versions of Bitcoin. And they gave them whatever names they wanted. So there were people who made things called Litecoin or Barbecue Coin or Sam Coin or Dave Coin. <laughs> exactly. it, right, it, you, can, you can do whatever you want. So, so at that point, when people wanted to talk about Bitcoin specifically, they use the word Bitcoin, but when they wanted to refer to this this more broadly, this technology, they use the word cryptocurrency, right? As a, because it uses cryptography, right. it sort of has aspects of a currency, so you can understand why people use the word The terminology doesn't help, because when I think crypto, I think Bigfoot vampires. <laughs> All this stuff that hasn't been proven yet. <laughs> okay, interesting, interesting. No, well, so there's some, there's some use of cryptography, right, okay. encrypting messages and, and right. this sort of business in making Bitcoin work. And so in the, so that's where cryptocurrency came from. And then after, after a couple of years, this is now 2013, 2014, um, there's now like thousands of these cryptocurrencies. There was a sort of collective realization that this technology and I haven't explained how the technology works yet, and I understand that, but this technology could be used for non-financial applications. So, and, and this, this will take some explaining, but, but just for now, people realized you could use cryptocurrency to store information like land titles or medical records. Um, and, and so then this new word emerged, blockchain technology. But the important thing is whether it's Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or blockchain technology, it's always been referring to the exact same thing, right? Blockchain technology and cryptocurrency are the same thing. It's just 
we started using the word it's the block. application that it's used for, I guess, right? It, well, it's, I just think blockchain technology is, is the term that people settled on as the most abstract definition of the thing that this person who only goes by the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto invented back in 2008. Right. Um, because you could use it when it was thought you could only use it for payments, it was called cryptocurrency. When people realized you could use it for things besides payments, it just called that blockchain technology. So that's where the term came from. Got it. So, blockchain technology, my understanding of, of you know, its features that allow it to be used as a basis for a currency system is that it essentially can't be corrupted. Is that correct? So, Blockchain technology, in the, in the simplest description of it, is just a database okay. that you can use to store information. It can be any information. So that was the reason why we stopped calling it cryptocurrency and started calling it blockchain technology. Because initially, that database was only used to keep track of who had how many units of that cryptocurrency and, and the payments, right? Mm -hmm. but, but as a database, you can store poetry. Uh, on you know on that same database you could store weather data whatever you wanted to and for I always give the example my, my brother uploaded his wedding vows to the Bitcoin blockchain right so even though Bitcoin is used for for payments you can upload arbitrary data to the to the Bitcoin blockchain and people upload silly things well maybe wedding vows aren't that silly um, but um, so why would you use blockchain technology to store data as opposed to the hard drive on your laptop or Dropbox or iCloud or right. whatever. There's lots of ways that we store data. The key difference between all the other ways we store data and storing data on a blockchain is that all those other ways to store data have some central administrator, okay. right? And that central administrator, it, depending on the context, this may or may not be a good thing, that central administrator, if they wanted to, can delete all of the data, right? Is that a problem? That, often that's a benefit. You, you know, we often want to have the control to be able to delete the data if we want to. But if we're worried about data being deleted when um, controversial data or data that somebody could be bribed to delete, things that we really don't ever want to be tampered with, then you have the option of uploading that data to a blockchain for which there is no central administrator and for which nobody has the power to delete that information. And that's called distributed ledger? So another word that people yeah. use uh, for blockchain technology is sometimes people call it distributed ledger technology or distributed a distributed ledger. But but um, it's just semantics, right? We're always yeah. talking about the same thing. Right. And distributed ledger um, is a good term, you know. It's 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 it's, it's uh, a you know, distributed database also works. But it's important to point out that like Dropbox, iCloud. Microsoft OneDrive, these are also distributed databases, right? Okay. right? Those those are those work really well because if there's a fire in some data center, it's replicated across many databases. The really the key difference is that for Microsoft OneDrive and those others, there is still Microsoft. There's still some company that if they so chose to, they could delete all, you know whatever information they wanted to. With the blockchain, it's also distributed, but there's no person who runs it, and therefore there's no person who could remove data. Okay. And this might be a whole other rabbit hole that would take hours for you to explain to me, but 
the, the other component of this I was a little bit curious about, and I'm not sure if it plays into the value of these cryptocurrencies, but this is this, let's just use Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining mm -hmm. concept. Can you explain how that kind of fits into this? Can I take a step back? Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so how I usually explain what cryptocurrency is, because I think you can under, you can you can listen to an explanation for how it works and still not understand well, but why why should we use right. it why does it exist and I think that's a better place to start and that's definitely something I wanted to right. ask you about right and I, and so the the thing to remember is that if if you read Satoshi's paper that was published in two thousand eight and you look at the references you know the the other work that his work, his or hers work was based on, it's all based on research that was done in the early to mid 1990s. And it's because in the early to mid 1990s, the internet was becoming this new thing and there were entrepreneurs and sort of uh, technologists, you know, with an optimistic view of the future that thought the internet was going to be a big deal. There were lots of skeptics too that thought the internet was going to be this fad that would go away. Right. And one of the things that the enthusiasts were saying was that in the future, we're going to buy things online. You're going to go online and you're going to you know, go to a furniture store and order furniture. You're going to book airline tickets on the internet. And, and there were a lot of people that were like, that's never going to happen. You're, that's ridiculous. The premonition of Amazon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the things that the critic, critic said was, there's no way to buy things online. There's no payment mechanism. And that was true. In the early to mid 1990s, there was no payment. Like you couldn't buy things with credit cards online. Um, and the reason was, was that uh, you know the way a credit card transaction works. Uh, you probably know, and I'm sure a lot of your, your the viewers now know, is that you give a merchant when you want to buy a five dollar toothbrush, you give that merchant the credit card number, you know the expiration date, your name, the last three digits. You give them all of the information that they could then use to buy anything they want with your credit card, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's, it's kind of like you want to buy something for $2 and you give somebody a password that they can then use to buy things for you know, as much money right. as you have, right? right. And uh, so back then in the 90s with the internet, you know, this, this poor security with credit cards was already seen as a problem for in-person transactions. And people thought, well, now when you're buying things via anonymous online merchants that could be anywhere in any country, that's never gonna work. So we can't use credit cards. Even though that's what we use today, back then, the thinking was we can't use credit, we need another way. And so there was a lot of research into new payment technologies. Um, and ones that don't have that security flaw. Like with credit cards, the fundamental security flaw is you give somebody all the information they need right. to pretend to be you. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's this concept called digital signatures. It, there's no need to really go into how it works, but, but uh, a lot of the modern payment technologies that were invented back then are based on, you could buy things online, you give the merchant a little bit of information, but not enough that they could turn around and pretend to be you. And that was all developed. Um, um, back then, and there were a lot of startups that you know, they were kind of like PayPal, but you know these are now defunct companies that don't exist. Um, and and Bitcoin was based on all that all of that research. It was based. It, was, it came out of that need to develop a non credit card based payment for the internet. Um, 
But what, what happened in the late 90s and early 2000s was that the credit card companies came up with a sort of brute force solution to the payments problem, basically having armies of private detectives, <laughs> uh, you know, a conservative fee for merchants that covers, you know, fraudulent uh, use. Um, and then that became the sort of the standard. We still buy things with credit cards online today. Right. Credit card fraud is still a big problem. Um, but so Bitcoin was basically a, um, a recasting of the more secure payments technologies developed in the 90s, but it just had this twist that whereas all the, all, all the approaches in the 90s still assumed that there would be one central administrator keeping track of who had how much money, you know, like at PayPal or Venmo, right. they keep track of their users' um, accounts. And, and, uh, and Bitcoin, worked exactly like PayPal or Venmo, it just didn't need that central administrator. Satoshi sort of cleverly figured out a way that like a network of computers could voluntarily sort of voluntarily keep track of who had how many um, units of account. You know, these you could give it any name you want, Satoshi called them Bitcoins, but it's just some arbitrary point system um, that when people transact online you have to keep track of it somehow. Right. Um, and it's very, very secure. It doesn't just like it uses these digital signatures, so when people transact online, they don't give away any information they don't need to. Merchants who receive payments can't then turn around and pretend to be right. those users. Um, okay, so that's why Bitcoin exists, right? right? And that's why it was meant. And it's fundamentally more secure than, than credit card payments. Um, and um, and so then your question was about, well what's Bitcoin mining, which is basically in my mind creating value. Right. So it's almost like it's equivalent. I see it as in the fiat system of printing money. Is that correct? <laughs> so this uh, voluntary network of computers, right. right? That what what they do, and anyone can do this. This is an important point, right? right? That's is, this is. This is the decentralized aspect, uh, or the voluntary aspect. So you could right now download software where your computer could participate in this process of storing the, let's, let's pick Bitcoin as an example, of storing everyone's Bitcoin transactions on your computer. And when new people transact Bitcoins, your computer participates in this network of updating the database, checking that the transactions follow all of the rules, um, that process is what Bitcoin mining is. Those computers that maintain the database, this, this distributed database of transactions that also includes arbitrary data like my brother's wedding right. vows, right? All those computers are what are called Bitcoin miners. Really, they should have been called, I think it would have been a lot less confusing if, if the terminology was those are uh, Bitcoin database maintainers or something. That makes sense. Yeah. Right? It just so happens that to make this voluntary network of computers robust, right? Satoshi came up with the idea that um, all those computers that participate in this process would get rewarded with a small amount of Bitcoin for maintaining the database. Okay, that makes that, that makes a lot more sense. Right. So it's their consideration for using their computing power, so to speak. Right, and, and, yeah. and, and, and so, you know, if you think about a lot of online services, 
we often talk about them in terms of their uptime, their 90% uptime, right. 95%. You know, every now and then it goes down for whatever. It doesn't outage, right. right? And you can't access some website. Well, Bitcoin has had basically 100% uptime in its 12 years of existence because there's a financial incentive for these thousands of computers to always have the database online because they get paid for it. I get it. All right. right. Okay. Now, initially, um, so the idea was that in steady state, right, meaning after this has been, you know, around, after Bitcoin's been around for a long time, the people maintaining that network would be paid in transaction fees. So when I send Bitcoins to you, I append a small transaction fee and the people maintaining the network would collect those and, and that's, it would be distributed to them via that mechanism. Got it. But initially, you know, on day zero, nobody had any Bitcoins, right? So, so I think when Satoshi was thinking about just how to get this started, the idea was initially those people who maintain the database would get Bitcoins out of thin air temporarily to sort of bootstrap the network. And so that's where the mining terminology oh, came from, from because okay. they were maintaining the database, they were getting Bitcoins minted out of thin air, right? But the idea was, but, it, but it's less and less with time. So the idea was to transition fully to just collecting from transaction fees in the future. Got it, got it. So another magic question. Why all the market volatility if we're, uh, you know, 14 years after Satoshi published the original concept, why is there still so much volatility? Well, I mean, if you just talk to your neighbor on your left and your neighbor on your right, you know, there's a high chance that one of them will think Bitcoin is stupid, right, or, or mm -hmm. a scam. And that answers the question about the volatility right there, right? Okay. If everyone thought it was a good idea, it'd be as it probably, I mean I don't know for sure, but it'd probably be a stable stable asset. The fluctuation. So it's kinda of like the stock market, driven in a lot of cases just by sentiment of the public. Right. And that and that applies to anything. I mean if, if yeah. people started thinking the US dollar was a stupid idea, I mean it's yeah. its value would fluctuate too. Of course you couldn't measure that in US dollars, right. you'd have to measure it in other ways. But um but so, in the, on day zero, uh, you know, this was like a crazy computer science experiment. Bitcoins had zero value, you know, they were, nobody attached to value, it was just like a for fun thing. Um, maybe you heard that the sort of the first, what's widely believed to be the first commercial transaction with Bitcoin is someone said, hey, if someone orders me two pizzas, I'll send them 10,000 Bitcoins. That was in 2010. That's the like infamous Bitcoin pizza transaction because at current market value, that's like a four hundred million dollar payment <laughs> for two pizzas, um, and um, you know, and I, I think it will. So it's been increasing in value tremendously because it started from a place of people thinking this might have zero applications, and a lot of people thought it was worse than that. Like it's it was worse than useless. It was maybe a scam of some sort, right? Um, and as people realize that there's something to this, you know, then more people wanted it and the demand goes up. The supply is yeah. fixed, right? So right. that's an important factor in this discussion is that the... So what, and again, I understand it varies, you know, constantly, but like what, what's the value of a Bitcoin today? Um, I mean, I haven't checked in the last five minutes, but it, yeah. it was, uh, you know, last I checked, which maybe was, you know, a few days ago, it was 40,000 US dollars for one Bitcoin. So I'm assuming then, 
transactions are done in fractions of a Bitcoin. That's right. Yeah. You, can, you can send somebody a millionth of a Bitcoin. Uh, okay. Um, and I, I should point out that even though I keep using the word Bitcoin for simplicity, everything we've said so far applies equally to all the other cryptocurrencies. And, and that's, that's a good segue. So, you know, who, I mean, we all hear Bitcoin all the time. Who are the other major players in, in the cryptocurrency realm? Ethereum um, I hear a lot about. So the two, you know, most well-known, you know, most established cryptocurrencies would be Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, and there are thousands of others. But I, I do think there are zero major players. Like, it's okay. still really, really early in this. I mean, again, if you ask your neighbor on your left, your yeah. neighbor on your right, do you use Bitcoin for anything? Probably both of them would say no, right? Yeah. Um, and I think until that changes, it, you know, it's really impossible to know what will be the cryptocurrency of the future. Even if you're a believer, even if you think about it and you think, okay, I think human civilization will eventually, cryptocurrencies will dominate, you know, the entire world will be powered by cryptocurrency. It's still too early to say which cryptocurrency that will be. Okay. So, um, if I'm a, just a consumer or I'm a small business owner, mm -hmm. What are the pros and cons, the plus and minuses of, of transacting in cryptocurrency versus conventional? Yeah, so I think we're still in a, in a, in a phase where this is all a big experiment, right? So I, and I think a good analogy would be, you know, imagine you're a small business in the early 1990s and the internet is a, a thing that a few enthusiasts use, but really the number of actual users is very, very small. Do you make a website or not? Right. A lot of companies in the 90s had no websites. Major corporations had no websites. Because why, why bother? But a couple of, I think KFC, I think, may have been one of the first fast food chains to have a website. You know, right. um, and um, they probably did not benefit tremendously from that. But it also didn't cost them much either. Um, and in doing it, they probably educated themselves a bit about the internet and, and, it, and it helped to move them along to be more ready for the future where it became like now you couldn't have a small business without a website right now it's critical so there could be a time whether it's in 10 years or 20 years where you could not have a small business without transacting in cryptocurrencies you'd be out of business yeah. um, so the main advantage to doing something with cryptocurrency today would be to to stay um, in, I guess stay on the, yeah to be to, to for educational reasons yeah, right okay um, it could be that cryptocurrency you know won't go anywhere uh, but I don't think it I don't think it costs much in terms of time and energy I mean it's it's like staying on top of any sort of emerging technology trend right now without blowing me away from a logistics or technical perspective how does how do those cryptocurrencies or bitcoins or whatever medium you're using how does that actually translate into dollars and cents? Mm -hmm. So is there intermediaries that, is it like a currency exchange? How does that? So there are lots of currency exchanges, um, the very established and the, you know, currency exchanges in every country. A lot of businesses that do accept cryptocurrency do it through payment providers. Okay. In fact, there are a lot of um, establishments here in Pittsburgh that accept cryptocurrency without even realizing it because a lot of a lot of small businesses that you know want to give their users and customers as many options as possible 
will, will work with many different payment processors. And some of them don't even realize that those payment processors accept cryptocurrency. Because um, the payment processors will do the exchange for the, for the restaurant or the small right, business. Right. And, and the business just ends up receiving US dollars even if the customer paid in cryptocurrency. I see, I see. So, um, how involved you know, from, you know, from your level of expertise, you know, it's, it's a somewhat self-regulating process based on the blockchain technology. There's talk that eventually there will be some kind of regulation over cryptocurrency. What, what do you see coming? Is you know, in our industry here in banking, you know, it's coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I just read an article, a quick article this morning, that one of the banks uh, out in the Midwest that, that already works in cryptocurrency just got a big fine from the FDIC for you know not following certain anti-money laundering sure. type concepts. Right. So where do you see the future of a, a kind of regulation of, of this whole type of uh, commerce? Yeah. Right, right. So I mean, I think there have been evolving regulations uh, on cryptocurrency you know, with increasing sophistication since uh, 2013. Um, and again, it's different in every country. It's different at federal levels and at state right. levels. Um, so... Uh, you know, I'm not a, a regulatory expert right. by, by any means. I can just tell you that as someone who's been sort of following the space for as long as I have, um, it has already, I, I wouldn't say regulations are coming, they've already come, and I think they will just continue to be refined and made more and more appropriate. You know, it, the, sometimes it's too heavy-handed. I think the regulators generally don't want to be heavy-handed, right? They right. want to be appropriately handed, right? And so they, I think they value feedback from the business community um, and they often solicit lots of input. Um, and so, you know, if it swings, you know, sometimes they're not heavy-handed enough and law enforcement tells them, you know, you need to, we need to regulate these things more because criminals are, you know, what we want is we want non-criminals to benefit from cryptocurrency much, much more than criminals do, and that, I think that's you know where the difficult balancing act. But um, I think it's just going to we're just going to continue seeing a trend of more and more refinement over the years um, until thirty years from now, people will just be arguing over where to put the comma on <laughs> on some sort of bill. But for now, it's big changes because it's still pretty new. Okay. So, um, who are some of the major players out there? that are already accepting cryptocurrency. What I mean by that is like, you know, your large retailers and is there any kind of like really innovators or early adopters or? Um, yeah, I mean, even back in 2014, uh, there were, you know, I may, I'm making some of the dates wrong, but, but already for a long time, some companies like Dell, um, uh, Overstock, I think, famously, you know, was accepting cryptocurrency and, and, and not exchanging all of it for U.S. dollars, actually keeping some cryptocurrency on the books. Um, I think Elon Musk has, you know, been pushing Tesla to accept cryptocurrency. Um, but, uh, but usually it works through payment providers. And so one of the biggest names in the space is BitPay, um, which is an American company, um, and they provide 
you know, excellent payment processing services for a very large number of companies. So they make it very easy for businesses to, you, you know, you keep everything the same, you know, you, your prices are the same in U.S. dollars, you collect, your, you know, you, you get U.S. dollars, but, but BitPay allows uh, fairly painlessly those businesses to accept cryptocurrency. And they were the first, you know, and, and most established player. Um, Coinbase, you know, is a, a, another very successful major player um, company that's American um, that op primarily operates a currency exchange, but they do also do a lot of sort of support cryptocurrency um, operations. They work a lot with small businesses as well. Um, so those are two very good, you know, American companies, uh, and I say American because I I think what for something that is is as regulated as a financial product, you can't just work with any company in any right. country. You, you want, you want the, uh, a company that follows the same regulations that you are, you are held accountable to. So th those are companies I think that yeah. are going to be major players for small businesses. So I got $20 in my pocket yeah. and I want to pay you in Bitcoin. Yeah. What do I do? Well, you have to get Bitcoin first. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I just go online and. Or... So firstly, you can get Bitcoin from anyone who has Bitcoin, right? So you can, so you can, uh, you know, the, at one point in time, uh, and still true to this day, you know, a lot of people would meet in coffee shops and and exchange U.S. dollars for cryptocurrency. But the the way that most people do it today is go to a website like Coinbase.com, which is a currency exchange. You, uh, it's. You connect it to your bank account. You, it's. I mean, it's like any other currency exchange. If you were, if right. you wanted to exchange your dollars for euros, you know, you'd make an account at a currency exchange, or your bank would, you know, help you. So it's the same thing. Kind of like the whole Venmo concept. Right, right, they, right. I have college age sure, kids, yeah, right. and I don't think I've sent them actual cash. It's all been. It's all been with Venmo. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you, you you deposit U.S. dollars, right. you buy you buy Bitcoin or any one of the other cryptocurrencies, right. um, and then you have it, and then you can keep it on Coinbase, or you can send it to your phone or laptop, or as I alluded earlier, you can send it to your brain. But that's probably a topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the ball's rolling. Yeah. Snowball's rolling downhill, right? Um, where do you see this going? Uh, evolving just in the short window, let's say the next five years? It's really hard to say the next five years. I mean, it's probably going to continue growing a little bit and then whether it grows explosively or grows a little bit, I don't know, but I would, I would imagine it's going to continue growing as it has been. Um, I, I'm, I'm in the camp that thinks that 50 years from now, it's sort of an inevitability. I think it's just a better technology than what we've been using before. So it's, you know, and, and I think the analogy to the early internet is a really apt one. In the early days, the internet was clunky. Its utility was sort of um, hard to appreciate. Uh, you know, a lot of people thought, why buy something online? It could just go to a brick and mortar store. But we know today that brick and mortar stores are not doing very well and, and internet commerce is doing super well because it is easier. Fundamentally, mm -hmm. it's easier to buy things online. It's easier to search for things online. It's easier to find get the best deal online. And fundamentally, cryptocurrency is just a more efficient payment mechanism. It's more secure, more reliable. 
And so eventually I think human civilization will adopt it on a mass scale, but that could take a very, very long time. So I guess the message for small business right now that I got from our conversation is use it now to be educated. Exactly. And be ahead of the game as it continues to grow in popularity and use. Yeah, I told my friends and my students, right, you don't need to, you know, I, I happily give anybody who asks $5 worth of cryptocurrency, you know, just, mm -hmm. or just, you can get, you can get a dollar's worth, right? Yeah. And you can listen to me talk about it, but if you just use it for five minutes, it, it clicks in a way that any amount of listening about it or reading about it will never make it click. And it doesn't cost much, right? Again, you can right. have a dollar's worth of cryptocurrency and a little bit of your time, and then it will make so much more sense, and you'll be better prepared for if it becomes a more important business factor in the future. Excellent. Thank you very much for all that expertise. If our viewers and listeners want to learn more, uh, what's the name of the, the book? The book is called Bitcoin for the Befuddled, um, which was published in 2014, and uh, you have a sequel coming we have out. A se we have a sequel uh, coming out, uh, tentatively titled Crypto for the Confused. Um, but, uh, uh, but for now, that's the one book that's out there. Right. What's the timeline on the new book? Any idea? Uh, the books. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, anywhere from one to two years. So, okay, yeah. excellent. Appreciate your time. Appreciate the expertise. Uh, and for you, our viewers and lis listeners, hopefully we somewhat demystified uh, at least some of the terminology and gave you a good sense for this being you know uh, probably a very important part of commerce in the future uh, the question is you know what that timeline is but it's always better to be educated up front so you can take advantage of those opportunities when they arise as always if you uh, have any uh, questions comments uh, please email us at inside the vault at enterprisebankpgh.com and please be sure to subscribe to any major uh, podcast channel for other episodes of Inside the Vault and or view us on YouTube. Thank you very much.